I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you all believe that this college is going to make you an entrepreneur, you are mistaken. Entrepreneurs are born. You're listening to Crazy Smart Asia, a podcast exploring the unexpected stories of Asia's disruptors. I'm Lee Williamson. We're switching roles this week. Tamara Lemounier is in the interviewer's chair for the episode, talking with entrepreneur, philanthropist, and Nepal's only billionaire, Binod Chidari. Binod is the chairman of CG Corp Global, a multinational conglomerate that comprises over 160 companies. The group has interests in everything from education to financial services, aside from also producing the famous YY Noodles. He also has a hotel portfolio of 36 owned and 98 managed properties. Aside from his business success, Binod also has an active public life. He served as a member of Nepal's parliament for a number of years, and his non-profit, the Shaudri Foundation, is dedicated to the sustainable development of Nepal. But aside from all the accolades and accomplishments, behind the scenes, it's been anything but plain sailing. That, as always, is what we're here to discuss. Tamara and Beanote have known each other for a number of years, and it really shows in this warm, honest, and frank discussion they share about business, purpose, and values. Among other topics, the two discuss navigating the hurdles unique to a family business, the importance of a risk appetite, the value of networking, and the one key trait you need for business success you won't learn from any MBA. Here's their conversation. Bina Chidari, welcome to Crazy Smart Asia. Thank you, Tamara. Great pleasure connecting. Bina, I'd like to take you back to when you were 19 and had to take over the reins of your family business. Your grandfather, who came to Nepal from India, owned a textile business, and your father opened Nepal's first department store. Unfortunately, he fell ill unexpectedly, and you had to take over at a really young age. You didn't get to finish college, though I know in some interviews you've said you wanted to, and nor did you have any formal business schooling. How has this influenced your views on business? Well, you are right. Uh, I found that my life changed overnight. You know, when my father uh, fell ill, he had uh, heart uh, ailments. And uh, those days, and this I'm talking about close to 47 years ago, you know, when I was 18 uh, you know, the, suddenly while I was preparing to go to Mumbai for to pursue my further education, uh, suddenly uh, I found my dad in the ICU of a hospital and uh, the doctor, who was like a family to us, mentioned that, uh, look, uh, it's not easy. Your dad will not be able to be active in your business anymore and now you have the responsibility of, uh, you know, doing whatever you need to do as a worthy son, both in business and family life. So that was the end of my 
aspiration so far, education and fun was concerned. There was this Vinod Chaudhary, the young man who was running a discotheque and preparing to go to Bollywood, not particularly to be in the film industry, but you know, being closer and around. And then also, of course, uh, studying overnight, I had to, uh, you know, get to work and work also in a manner that I was not prepared at all. You know, I used to, I used to know what's happening. Uh, because we did not have an organization as such. We did not have, you know, systems and processes. We were working with some handful of people who were either partners or uh, family members, you know. So, and then that's uh, completely changed my life. But, you know, as I say this uh, today, and I've said this before many times, every step I encountered problems, obstacles, you know, young man, 18, joining business, dealing with the peer group of my father, okay, trying a man in a, a young man in a hurry, trying to push things, and the life uh, was tough, it was not easy, you know, and then the tougher made me, that toughness of the whole journey made me tougher every day. Right. I, sentence, if I have to sum up, that's the essence of it. I didn't, I never ever felt that, look, it's too too hard, too difficult. And I do not have the right kind of experience or education behind me. So probably I'm better off taking a back seat. No, that thought never, ever occurred. And I think that's what gave me the strength. I did not feel uh, at all uh, that I have uh, I had any kind of a limitation. I had full confidence and courage as a matter of fact, I wanted to move at a much faster pace than what my dad did, build organization, grow, etc., etc. Would it be fair to say that not having that formal education almost gave you more creativity and had you gave you more possibilities about you in the way you saw your life and your career? Because you were not restricted by maybe what a traditional um, business career and how that path is usually built. It did not restrict you in that way. You know, once I, uh, I was speaking to students at Oxford, Sides Management School, Business School, where I was invited as a guest speaker. And I opened my statement by saying that if you all believe that this college is going to make you an entrepreneur. You are mistaken. Entrepreneurs are born. What a good B school, however, does is to help you think in a more systematic manner. Gives you great network if you are in the right place. Give you ex- gives you exposure. Okay, and then there are so many other set of uh, enabling kind of uh, uh, you know system and platform and ecosystem, so to speak, which helps you, but it doesn't make you an entrepreneur per se. So, so I, I would, the, the way I would like to answer that question that I don't think I have ever felt that any kind of a formal or further education, you know, was a barrier to me, you know, uh, in, in my, uh, in the goals I wanted to pursue. Uh, but today in hindsight, if you ask me if I was a graduate from the Wharton or uh, whatever uh, would that, that would that have helped? 
probably yes, okay, in some respects. But still, I would still be the same, you know, Chaudhary as an entrepreneur. Wonderful. So you're saying that entrepreneurs are born and that true skills and talents are innate, so to speak. But Binod, what if it isn't? Do you believe that you can cultivate entrepreneurial skills in an entrepreneurial mindset? You can. I mean, you can cultivate. But my advice has always been to many, you know, and I do this quite often talking to young minds, young students, you know, young entrepreneurs. And I tell them that don't have to be, you know, everybody need not be a Bill Gates or Steve Jobs. When Jack Ma chose to create Alibaba, he partnered with 12 of his colleagues. This is a story which he told me personally in Hangzhou once. 12 or 18, I'm forgetting, because he needed $80,000. And each one contributed 5,000 each. And some was very good salesman. One was very good IT guy. One was very good accountant. One was very good whatever. And he said, come, look, this is my vision. My Chinese government is not prepared to support me. They want me to sell only Chinese goods to the US, which is not going to happen. It has to be two-way. You come and join me. And the fact of life is that all of them became billionaire. So you don't have to be an entrepreneur. To be able to even partner with the right entrepreneur and complement the skills of that entrepreneur gives you a huge opportunity. And I think that's how the world is. And also in the process, I would say that definitely you start understanding business better. You're understanding, uh, you know, what are the issues that you often are faced with, the challenges and how you tackle them. But let's face it, Tamara, and I'm being a bit, uh, you know, too, uh, I I would say maybe I'm too convinced. It's my conviction. Okay. So I don't hesitate to say this, that all the businesses that are made, which have become big in my own career, the feasibilities were not done by PwC or ENY or any other, you know, professional economist, guru or anything, it all came from the heart. It was my business acumen. It was my intuition. Okay. It was all uh, situations that I was thrown into. Okay. And I made the right decision at a spur of a moment. Took risk. Huge amount of risk, which probably in hindsight, nobody would support. A conventional businessman or an investor would ever never support. For instance, to have invested in Samudra, Taj Samudra in Sri Lanka at a time when the, all the six aircrafts of Air Lanka were bombed. Not even the Sri Lankans believed in Sri Lanka. But I did. That was my hunch and whatever little knowledge and ideas I had about the fundamentals of that country being right. So it seems to me that your competitive advantage has really been this big appetite for risk that you've been describing in that, you know, you go into places um, and at times when others wouldn't. Would that be fair? Yes, I would. I, I tend to agree. And uh, uh, I probably call it my destiny and which destiny in turn eventually turned into and strength. You know, like you send me to Iraq and Afghanistan, probably the opportunity is right. I'll still try to create the right kind of, a, you know, ecosystem and take it. Because I think, I think 
There is no place in this world which is perfect, so to speak, when it comes to business or security. If 9-11 can happen, what are we talking about? If Bali bombing can happen, what are we talking about? You know, it's, it's possible everywhere. You need to just know and you need to understand the ground, ground realities and put a system that works. Mm. I don't Mm. And coming from Nepal, how has that also kind of influenced this appetite for risk that you have and this fearlessness that you seem to have? Well, yes, I think that's the breeding ground, you know. <laughs> Frankly speaking, we've seen situations where in 25 years' time, 26 governments have changed. We've seen over the last, uh, I would say, I don't want to talk about earlier, but even we talk about the time when we had the second revolution, okay, and which led to the reinstatement of multi-party political system and made the king a titular head, okay, back in in 31 years ago. Uh, You know, I mean, I think the amount of resilience that the Nepalese, including me, have demonstrated, you know, now no policy consistency, 12 years of uh, armed kind of insurgency in between, led by Maoists, completely different agendas, a breeding ground, a playing ground of huge global powers, you know, right from the uh, West to uh, both our neighbors. And, and, and we've been part of it. And we've grown. We are growing. I think, I think uh, that's what uh, truly, uh, you know, gave, gave us a ability to remain on course, no matter what kind of difficulties you encounter. Mm-hmm. Probably uh, you know that you have that inner sense of confidence that there is a way, there is a way out. Okay, it's just a question of pushing the right button at the right time. The second season of Crazy Smart Asia is sponsored by BNP Paribas Wealth Management. We live in a dynamic and ever-changing world where innovation leads the way, a world facing unprecedented challenges. We need to change the way we create and consume to fuel the next wave of change and build a brighter, more sustainable tomorrow. BNP Paribas Wealth Management is proud to support Crazy Smart Asia on its mission to tell the stories of inspiring leaders who are doing just... Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. That. 
So I'm curious, Binod, obviously not now because you have a, a wealth of experience now behind uh, under your belt. But I'm curious, when you were when you were younger and you were still kind of on this path of building your, your business empire, I'm curious, how did you learn back then and how do you continue to learn today? Did you ever read any self-help books on leadership or productivity? Did you listen to podcasts or radio or shows like this one? Or are you a proponent of simply learning through experience? No, I think uh, certainly uh, from the time I started, I I realized that, look, whatever I may say, whatever may be the level of confidence in me, but there is a lot for me to learn from people who have done it, you know. Like, let's talk about guys like J.R.D. Tata, okay, the, the, the founder of the Tata Group, really the second generation of the Tata Group. Actually, it is J.R.D. Tata's father who founded the Tata Group. Now, in my mind, Tata Group is a name. Tatas are a name which is, of course, synonymous with India all over the world. But more importantly, Tata, the the ethos of the business as well as the social engagement, the philanthropy of Tata and also ethics and business practices. I think think there is no comparison that you can draw with any other business house in India, or at least they've been able to build, create that kind of an image. So I always dreamt that I wanted to create the Tata group of Nepal, or for that matter, a Tata group of Nepal, starting from Nepal and going to the world. So my learning, okay, my inspiration came from the way they conducted themselves. So I was learning a lot. I was watching everything that was happening in their lives, reading about them, things like that, okay? Another example I can give you is about Muhammad Yunus. Okay, someone I deeply respect and uh, uh, commend, you know. The, the, he's the Nobel laureate from Bangladesh who changed millions and millions of lives by bringing the microfinance, a $700 funding to most of the homes who did not even have means to survive live, particularly women. Okay, the whole principles of microfinance, as you know. Okay, I mean, something, it's a unique example of how one man's vision and one man's work can transform a country. Okay, likewise, I mean, you know, I mean, I, I've always felt that for to have a holistic life, a life which is complete in some respect, okay, there has to be a balance between your professional aspirations and and what you want to achieve with the right element of spirituality. You've got to be, you've got to believe that, uh, you know, these are two elements which have to, which are, which look like the two extremities of a line, very difficult, different, like the two shores of a river. Okay. But they need to come together. They need to travel together, even if they don't need to come together. And then that, I, and I think these are all these things come from watching, observing, engaging. Now, it doesn't need to be a formal way of taking classes or learning, but I think if you are observant enough, if you know what you want, if you're looking, you are searching for what you want, I think you come across many opportunities. It's just that you must have that sense to pick up the right person or the right information or the right uh, kind of a learning. Soon. Great. 
I'd like to talk about family businesses now. I'm particularly interested in this topic given that I myself work in one. Because of that, I know that working in a family business can be wonderful, but also really challenging at times. You are a third generation businessman and now you work with your three sons. How do you make that work and what are you trying to teach your children? You know, uh, it's interesting uh, you ask me this question. Because I'm in the mid middle midst of uh, you know giving a long term role roadmap or a long term kind of a structure in building in creating a building block which will last forever hopefully okay and then there is a popular saying and it's not unfounded that uh, in most cases in most cases in family businesses the first generation struggles. To try to put it together, the second generation has seen what the first generation has done, or how they, how much, what kind of uh, hardship that has gone in, so they consolidate. Okay, then third one destroys it. That's the end of the story. I think that's a normal story of a family-run organization, and because they're not able to, they're not able to sort of uh, uh, re engineer themselves every day. They're not, they don't evolve. Okay. I'll give you a simple example. Look at the, look at the list of the foes or fortune or for that matter in my own neighboring country in India. The 20 top business houses which existed 20 years ago, probably except for one or two, none of them exist. But they slide it down the ladder. They were all family businesses. Okay. The Modi's, the Shinganyas, the Dalmias, the you can you take the name. Likewise, even in the US, okay. I mean, how many Rockefeller type of families still survive in business? You know, this is all the new generation, new tech, okay, digital backed industries which have taken the center stage. Okay, you didn't hear the names of guys like John Com or uh, you know, I don't know how all these Microsoft or Bill Gates or, uh, you know, Steve Jobs who created Apple or reinvented Apple. So I think, I think my, my view is that you've got to be able to bring in the values of the family businesses, families, what makes the family business work. You know, there are certain distinctly uh, different elements and uh, strengths of families, how they run the business. But you need to also bring in the other half, which is innovation, okay, which is re-engineering yourself, bringing some of the best brains, okay, bringing in the element of constant evolution, okay, understanding where the ecosystem is going, where the technology is going, how the disruptive the world is becoming, okay, can you stay on uh, forever and just sit inside that box and say that, look, my grandfather created a great product called Kodak. Okay? So I'm going to continue to work on that. No, the answer is become obsolete. You've got to be prepared to. A day will come where USP and DHL will lose its significance. Drones are going to be the thing of the world. Okay? They are the ones who's going to be the most efficient couriers. I mean, it's the writing is on the wall. So, 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 I think it's a, it's a right blend of the family values and the family uh, 
tradition as well as the pains so to speak you know i think what makes what cuts the family businesses apart from a purely professionally run company is the state okay the by blood and sweat as well as the future of my next generations and many more generations to come is invested there it's not about if the company fails i can quit and i can restart again i'll be finished as an entrepreneur and a fine and a and a and a professional you know if if panam collapse resign go and look for jtr or jtr collapse go to you know some other just the stakes are limited so you need to bring in the right uh, kind of uh, you know i i call i like to call them building blocks and put them in the right order and in the right sequence and it sounds to me that you know also in addition to that keeping the entrepreneurial spirit alive within your family is very much what you're talking about when it comes to bringing in new talent keeping an eye on innovation looking outward as well aside from looking inwards seems to be some of the things that you're talking about true absolutely great those are the uh, those are the great qualities of a family run business you know which uh, even can even value system even even the business practices even the uh, you know i i i think i am a great believer that the family run businesses can survive some of the toughest time they don't give up easily because they can't afford to we'll be right back with tamara and binode but first let's hear from anton wong bnp paribas wealth management head of taiwan market we discuss the future of philanthropy and the challenges facing next gen business leaders In addition to his business success, Bino is a noted philanthropist. Uh, the nature of giving is changing rapidly though. What is the future of giving in Asia? I would break it down like this. First, in the near term, the pandemic continues to drive most of the demand for non-profit services. Second, in the longer run, the focus towards transparency, effectiveness and impact measurement will resurface as the main themes again. Third, There are more donors nowadays looking towards collaborative models to reorganize the roles played by public and private sectors and to bring academics and tech leaders together to tackle the big issues. And fourth, the line will be blurred between philanthropy and impact investing as people adopt a do-good philosophy which is articulated across investment and lifestyle choices. Decades ago, Bino took over his family business at a young age. What are the challenges and opportunities facing the next-gen business leaders of today in Asia? Well, I can go on about all the challenges and uncertainties that are facing all businesses right now. But for wealthy next-gens, we find that the process of succession itself, especially as it relates to the proper empowerment of the succeeding generation, remains one of the most prevalent challenges. The flip side is of course if a next gen leader is properly empowered they have at their disposal a wealth of tools networks acumen and capital to serve as a springboard for new ideas this takes away many of the existential challenges faced by other young entrepreneurs as they who did not start off with that kind of support and how are the values of second and third gen family business leaders changing from those of their parents first gens are the original entrepreneurs of the family So they were the ones who went from rags to riches by exerting themselves and persevering. Second and third gens may also be smart, focused, well-trained and hardworking, but the journeys into the business are different. Therefore in terms of values, 
Next gens typically have an overriding concern about their responsibilities towards preservation of what was built before them. Today's next gen leaders are also much more conscious about linking environmental and social impact to the core values of their businesses. While some may say this is driven by the stronger educational background or a sense of duty, we can argue is simply a matter of necessity. And now back to the show. Now I have to say, you know, I meet a lot of entrepreneurs、uh, from all backgrounds and all ages, and so I can say with confidence that for someone of your level of success, you are particularly social and extremely generous with both your time and your energy. So many entrepreneurs that I meet tell me they aren't sociable or they don't like to socialize. But in your career, it seems to me that you really put an emphasis on relationships. Why is that? Thank you for your very kind words, but I do love, you know, engaging with people. I think to me, whatever I am today, apart from the values that I've inherited from my family members, for what I've got, for huge respect, it's my relationship, it's my network. I think, look, as you know, we and we talked earlier that I didn't have formal education. My education came from my network. My strengths came from my network. Some of whenever I needed to do something which was extraordinary, different, challenging, I had someone to help me, someone to whom I could look at. Okay, and I, that doesn't happen just by、uh, calling on someone when because you need that person. It has to. It's a relationship. It's an unconditional journey where you have to move forward all the time. It is a lot of giving. It's a lot of. It's a lot of giving. It's a lot of sharing. It takes time, and I think if you are a good time manager, if you are disciplined, I think you can find time. And it's a great、uh, way to,、uh, you know, if you meet, you come across, you're lucky enough to find the right people in your lives, and if you build the relationship, it's a fantastic journey. Relationships is also one of the social pillars、uh, that you talk about in your 2016 autobiography, "Making It Big," where you delve into five different pillars that you feel make a successful life.、Um, and I do believe that the social aspect is is one of them. Tell me a little bit more about the other four. You know, life is as I was uh, talking uh, earlier. Life is all about balance. A.、Eh? Also, it's all about balance,、uh, time management. Okay, a lot of people say that oh, I'm too busy. I've got far too many things to do on my business side, so I don't have time for to myself or to my family or to you know the social engagement, like you mentioned. You know, associating with people you like, or maybe even you know business associates or friends, or even in your public life, things that you want to do for public life in your public life, or what you want to be remembered for. How you want the next generation, next the society to know you, to to、uh, sort of place you in what kind of a plateau, so to speak. So these are the five facets of life, in my opinion. It's like a tent, you know, which stands on five poles. Okay, there is one center pole, and there are four in the corner, right? A beautifully pitched tent, you know, which looks strong and solid, has all these four poles on the corners, very well. Erected, straight, and the center one very strong. To me, these four poles are: A is a private life, a personal life. You may be a loner, you may be a singer, you may be a writer. It just that nobody else has access to that unless you want to. 
Secondly, your family life, your immediate family life. Children, father, mother, wife, whatever, okay? Immediate go to people who enrich your life and who, who are there because you and you are there because of them, you know? The third one is the society where you live. It's important, you know, if you, there, if you come across people you like, you've got to cultivate, you've got to build on, build on that relationship. That's what gives you a different flavor as well as a different nature of the strength. And fourthly, I mentioned about the public life. I think everybody may not be interested in public life, but people like us who are interested or who are thrown into the public life have to be careful and have to be, uh, on one hand, have to be honest and sincere enough to project yourself rightly. But sometimes also you've got to be careful. You've got to give time. You can't be seen as an arrogant, you know, unreachable person who, and, and you know, you've got to be able to uh, do what you are expected to do. Take pole is the most important one, and that is your professional career. Whatever is, whatever is your professional career, how strong you are in holding all these together, because, you know, let's face it, that's how you are known, Okay. I find these five pillars really fascinating, Binod. I love the fact that you actually also separate family as a really important pillar, but also the personal, meaning the inner, the spiritual self as a separate pillar. Because I do think that oftentimes a lot of entrepreneurs forget to look into that, to forget to look after that. That's a part of themselves that they don't nurture um, in, to the same degree that you're describing now. I wanted to ask you, what's next for you, Binod? What can we expect from you in the coming years? I'm definitely spending a fair amount of my time in putting together a long-term vision and a structure that will uh, handle the ownership issues to management issues to the future destiny of the group, okay, both at home in Nepal as well as globally. Managing the relationships between the three brothers, making sure that, you know, nothing comes on the way of keeping intact this, this corporate because it belongs to not only the three of the immediate shareholders, but there are far too many. Many of our companies are listed and they continue to grow in that manner. So I think we have to ensure, we have the obligation to ensure that this becomes tomorrow, whether any of the family member is interested to become a part of the management or not is their choice, but this has to grow. This institution has to carry on with the legacy. It's not an easy task. Okay, there are very few companies who have been able to do that. But there are. And then I'm, I'm working consciously towards that. That's my one priority. Second priority is my life and the life of the group sits in our lives. The foundation act, our foundation sits in the center stage today. We want to do new things. We want to do much more than what we've been doing. Our uh, Foundation is very active. We are working with Bill and Melinda Gates on, in, in, uh, we've already launched in working to tackling the issue of stunting. We have, a, we have a huge issue in Nepal and in many countries, including Africa and some of the ASEAN countries. So we put together a program where we are partners and we are trying to, you know, address the issue of malnutrition. And it's already moving forward. Who knows? Uh, we'll be able to help many, many lives. The thirdly and very important one to me is what am I doing here as people give me so much of love and respect 
as someone from coming from Nepal and having created this global enterprise. But look at the mess Nepal is in politically. Look at the governance. Look at the problems and issues that we are facing every day. So am I doing my part? Okay? And that's why I'm in politics. I want to do my part if I can. So this is how my time is spent in these three stylos. I'm happy, uh, you know, taking all of these uh, uh, responsibilities forward. Uh, third one is a tough one, I must tell you, because South, South Asian policy politics is a very difficult one, not too different than your Philippines. You know, <laughs> but I'm sure with the mindset and the determination that you've been able to demonstrate in your business, once Binod Chudari decides to create something or build something, I'm absolutely sure you'll get there. So I'd like to ask you one final thing. Five years ago in your book, you said that learning to sacrifice was one of the things that you struggled to learn and that you wanted everything. That's certainly something that I and a lot of other entrepreneurs can relate to, the idea of letting go. Has the last year or the last few years changed that view at all? Has Bino Chudari learned to sacrifice? This is a tough one. I think you're right. I mean, I've written, actually, my book starts with this statement that I wanted everything. My father told me that to get something, you've got to sacrifice something in return. And I didn't want to sacrifice everything. I didn't have time. I didn't have the opportunity. I didn't have that option, you know, because uh, I had to catch up with my father's peer group. And I had my dreams were far bigger despite coming from a small country. So that was okay that time. But as, as life evolves, as you go forward, I mean, you know, it's not a it's sacrifice. There's nothing wrong in sacrificing. I'm beginning to realize if there is a purpose behind it, if it serves a meaningful purpose and it's like taking one step backward but moving two steps forward. It's, it's a purely a judgmental call. Let's put it this way. It's not, uh, it's not withdrawal. It's not running away from your responsibility or it's not quitting the battle just because it's become tougher. It's, it's, it's all about it can be sometimes a strategic call to sacrifice, to leave something to the table. Because there is a bigger uh, game there and there is a bigger opportunity there. Or because you simply want to do something good and leave a different kind of a message. So I think 10, 10% I've changed my ethos. But <laughs> Some words to take away right there. Bino Chadari, thank you very much for joining us today. That's it for another episode of Crazy Smart Asia. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening to this. And please do leave us a rating and a review while you're at it. Next week, I'll be talking to Green Monday founder David Young. In a really fun, breathless conversation, we discuss building community, managing rapid growth, and the rise of the alt-protein industry in Asia. It was a packed conversation, which reminds me, I really must go get in the edit suite. But until then... Try to remember. There's nothing wrong in sacrificing if there is a purpose behind it. See you next time. (laughs) 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.